Well, hello and good morning. Why don't you put your hands together and uh, welcome their campuses to church today. 14 campuses across the state. If you're watching online, if you're a college student who's done with finals, where you at college students done with finals, can I get an amen? Okay, all right. If you're a high school, middle school student and you're counting down the last week of school, where you at out there? Uh, how about teachers? Where are my teachers? Yes, there we go, counting them down. Well, pumped to be with you today, and uh, we're going to have a great day. We're 10 days away from Christmas, y'all. Can you believe it? It's happening fast. I hope you get your shopping done this week. Amazon is real close to shutting down the overnight ability, so you got to get out there in the, the stores and uh, drive carefully. But, hey, I want to point out a couple of things. On your campus, you uh, probably had them in your seat when you came in. We've got our invite cards because next Saturday and Sunday... At New Spring Church, the 21st and 22nd, we're doing our Christmas services. Our teams have been working on these. Our production teams, our worship teams, our pastors, they're going to be incredible. And you're going to want to make plans to be here. I know I'm telling you that, but I'm telling you about these cards so you can invite your friends, families, coworkers. You can go to the Christmas parties this week and you can extend an invitation. Uh, here's what we're believing, all right. We're going to see a lot of people make first-time decisions to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, right here in the rooms at New Spring Church. And what's crazy is, these aren't just theoretical people. These are going to be your friends, your family, your neighbors, the folks that go to school with your kids. And so imagine yourself in the room next Saturday night or next Sunday morning, seeing a, a friend respond to the invitation, watching their eternity change just like that. And you're going to really experience some joy as they get the joy of Jesus at Christmas. If you're excited about that, can I hear an amen? All right. So listen, just wanted to put you on notice. Also, i got to give a shout out because we're in the middle of our overflow season. You saw the overflow video a moment ago. Uh, we had a nine-year-old from one of our campuses in the upstate last week write a letter to one of the campus pastors in the upstate. And this nine-year-old boy's name was Daniel. He had a note to the campus pastor and it was Four single bills, $1 bills, a quarter and a dime. It was this young man had been working on this, and he wanted that $4.35 to go to the overflow offering to see the kingdom of God, the church built in our cities, our state, and our world. And I just want to say, that pumps me up. That we've got young people being generous, and the generosity that we see, it's a foundation for abundance. And some of you know this, but we don't do building funds here at New Spring. We don't, we don't do special offerings. We take up one offering a year, the overflow, and it helps us set the pace for how we put our campuses in facilities, how we um, support missionaries like the ones you just saw and help church plants, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you for those of you that are participating. We are way ahead of where we were last year, and there's still time for many of you to jump in on that. So thank you all for doing that. We're pumped about what God's doing in generosity. Can we clap our hands one more time for the overflow offering? The title of today's message is called, Get Your Joy Back. Now I want you to turn to one of your neighbors, and I want you to preach to them for a moment and say, get your joy back real quick. Get your joy back. Get your joy back, and let's pray. Father God, we know that your joy is meant to be our joy. And I know, God, that there are people on every single campus today watching online that need to get their joy back. And we know you're committed to get that joy back. And so, God, open our hearts now to hear from you. I just confess right now that I personally have nothing to offer, but you have everything. And so hide me behind your finished work and open our hearts up so that we might be good soil 
And that you might encourage us today to get our joy back. We know you're committed to our joy. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen, amen. Get your joy back. Week three of our Joy to the World series. And I want you to open your Bibles up, if you will, to Matthew chapter 3. We'll get there in just a bit. I want to start off by pointing out a verse, though, in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's this one. It's been kind of our theme verse for the series. God said these words, church, in Nehemiah, through Nehemiah. And it's one that's really well known, a verse that's really well known. I need your help completing the sentence. For the joy of the Lord is your, one more time like you had a little caffeine this morning, church. For the joy of the Lord is your, one more time with a flex on them if you really want to get into it. For the joy of the Lord is your, awesome, you look good right there, I see you out there. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now I want to just throw this out there, this was not first coined by the sweet old lady at the Lifeway Bible Bookstore back when they used to have Bible bookstores. This was said by a construction foreman. That's who Nehemiah was. This was said by a guy who's had calluses on his hands. And he had a burden on his heart to see the work of the Lord done in his day. And this was something inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak over the people of God because it was meant to not just be a nice Twitter phrase, but an actual thing that people could sink their teeth into, that they could put in their pockets and they could live their life with. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's meant to be your strength and mine in real life, high pressure situations. Over the course of the last two weeks, we've gotten to be reminded that every one of us on every one of our campuses, we like happiness, but we need joy. We've been reminded that happiness is outside in. It comes from the happenings in our life. That happiness is a reaction. And that we don't need to chase happiness, but instead we need to be solidified in a joy that happens to our world. Not that is responsive to our world. Last week we got to hear from Pastor Clayton as he brought a word on how God wants to get us pure joy. That there is a joy that can be refined through the trials that we face. James wrote about this in James chapter 1. He said, consider it pure joy, church, when you face trials of various kinds. Because when they actually complete their work, they're going to leave us mature, um, complete, lacking nothing. And today my burden is to help every one of us walk out in a strengthened joy that I believe God has meant for us to have through the grind of our every single day. And I don't know if this speaks to anybody today, but I just want to say this out loud. God shifted this message on Wednesday of this week. In a really profound way, I was sharing with some of our staff members a little bit of this content. And this is a completely, this is a leadership talk for our staff. And after we finished um, the Lord used a couple of staff members to remind me that I needed to lean into the Holy Spirit on your behalf. This message is what I'm trying to say is for somebody in the room today on one of our campuses. This is specific. We plan our messages out weeks and weeks in advance. But I believe this thing is specific from Father God to many of you perhaps. And that he was so committed to getting this message to you because he wants you to know you don't have to walk through what you're walking through with no strength. That he has real joy that he wants to get to you. That you can use every single day of your life for the rest of your life. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now two things I want you to write down about before we jump into the content. The first one is this. We have to recognize this truth in life. We cannot live our life without pressure. Can't do it. It is impossible to live a pressure-free life. 
that, as a matter of fact, um, I want to say this out loud uh, at, 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 with fear of, of you guys throwing tomatoes at me or being mad at me, but here's the bottom line. God has made you and I to do difficult things. Amen? We're not supposed to walk through life with a big, insulated bubble around us and nothing bad, difficult, tough supposed to happen. God has made us to walk through life persevering through difficult days, the grind of life. And some of you, you know all about it because you're living in the middle of it. If we went with you home today or jumped into your job tomorrow or into your finals week at school or the finals week that you just came out of, we would say you live in a high-pressure space. Maybe your marriage has some pressure. Maybe your dating life has some pressure. Maybe raising your teenagers, come on, mom and dad, has a little bit of pressure. Maybe your boss at work is causing you to feel a little bit of pressure. We live in a high-pressure day, and one of the mistakes we can make is to think that we need to turn down the pressure of life. And I just want to say out loud, my fault is that I want to control the knobs to try to put myself in a space where I don't feel any pressure. Anybody else honest enough to say that today? I don't want to feel any pressure. And the enemy will begin to feed you lies that if I just won the lottery, I wouldn't have to feel any pressure. Y'all know about that? No, no, no church people buy lottery tickets, do they? Um, yeah, maybe if I just had enough money, I wouldn't feel any pressure. If I just got married to the right guy or girl, I wouldn't feel any pressure. If my kids could just behave, I would not feel all this pressure. If my boss would just chill out, I wouldn't be facing all this pressure. And the lie, listen, the lie is that you need to control your world so you live in a pressure-free environment. And I want to just say out loud, that's a lie from the enemy. But instead, we cannot live without pressure. I want to get your eyes and your focus on a completely different dial today at New Spring. We must instead choose to live a life out of God's pleasure. Pleasure, not pressure. Pleasure is where we need to spend more of our attention and our time not pressure. Stop trying to control every single thing that you're walking through that is causing you to feel pressure and instead turn your eyes, your attention, your focus on the pleasure of God. Now, I'm going to show you how in the scripture. Actually, I'm not going to show you Jesus is. I'm just going to point us to him this morning. And that's why we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, uh, all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. Now, let me set up the context. This is Jesus Christ getting baptized. Now, we celebrated baptism on our campuses this morning. And how cool is it to see people stand up in front of God and everybody and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. How cool was that on your campus to celebrate baptism? I know here at the Anderson campus, we got to see a small group leader at the 1115 baptize one of their, uh, their, their students. And at the 915, I got to see a dad baptize his son. Um, Baptism is a really cool thing, and we're about to watch Jesus get baptized in Matthew chapter 3. But the reason I'm pointing this out is we're also going to get to hear the voice of God the Father, and we're going to specifically hear the pleasure that God has in His Son. Now check this out. Way before He has done anything miraculous, preached a sermon, cast out a demon, walked on water, healed a blind person, way before Jesus was working or achieving or doing anything applaudable, he had the pleasure of his father on his life. And that pleasure, I believe, and my argument for you today to consider is that 
It is the key to walking through high-pressure situations. And can we just acknowledge that there was nobody on the planet ever that faced more pressure than Jesus Christ? Religious pressure, political pressure, peer pressure, expectations everywhere. I mean, think about being born into a family where you were told that angels came to visit mom and dad before you got here. You were growing up with pressure all around you, but it was the pleasure of his father that carried him through the pressure of his days. And so I want to read this to you, give you a lens to see it. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, here's what the scripture says. Then Jesus, he came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented Jesus saying, no, 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 I, John, need to be baptized by you, Jesus, but you come to me? But Jesus answered him, no, John, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately when he went up from the water, behold, the heavens listen to this, were open to him. He saw the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And verse 17, and behold, there was a voice from heaven, Abba Father, saying this, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. But then I wanna watch this. If you stop right there with chapter three, you miss chapter four, verse one. And then it says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Where was he led? Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. High pressure. High pressure situation. So what I want to do today is show you three things that Jesus knew that you and I need to know if we're going to capture this pleasure that's going to help us push back the pressures of life. So here's the scripture. I want to go back down to verse 17 because here's where it is. It says that, and behold, there was a voice from heaven, God the Father, who spoke three things. He said, this is, this is a son, a son that I love, and a son that I am well Please, these are the three things that he says in this one verse. So three things, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down. Number one is this. He um, knew, Jesus knew that he was a child of God. He knew he was a child of God. Now, I know that's not like theologically mind-blowing this morning. And you're like, man, I don't even go to church, bro, and I know that Jesus is the child of God. But here's what I want you to capture is that this is massive because there's a father in heaven, not a stoic um, Sky balls throwing out lightning bolts. That's the implications. Who is out to get all of us. Because if we were all honest, when we think about who the God of the Bible is, we think about a stern, arms crossed judge with a big gray beard looking like Zeus with a lightning bolt in his hand ready to zap, pow, boom, anybody who does anything that's against his will. Amen? But here's where Jesus is showing us, no, 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 no. The God of the Bible, my father, my, 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 my God is a dad. He, he's not standing there like this. He instead is in heaven going. And I can just envision, how many of you guys have been to these ball games and seen the obnoxious, overly celebratory parents going crazy for their kids? Come on, wave at me if you know them. Point at them if you know them. No, don't point at them. I'm just kidding. All right. You go to these ball games and, you know, little Johnny playing t-ball hits it and it's like Johnny's on his way to be a major league baseball player. And all of a sudden mom and dad are just pumped up celebrating and they're talking about Sarah at the, at the you know, the, the dance recital and how amazing, you know, whoever doing whatever. But parents 
naturally celebrate their kids. God was celebrating his son. Let this inform us about the real God of the Bible. That he knew, Jesus did, that his dad was real, present, and a father. And I can just envision the God of the Bible in this moment is not arms crossed, stoic face, but instead is like, Gabriel, Michael, come here, God. Holy host, come here. Hey, Lucifer, even you down there, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. That's my boy. Look at him. Look at Jesus. Look what he's doing. I'm so proud of him. And that the reaction of God here should inform us because this isn't just towards Jesus, Christian. Do you understand that this means that this is the way God looks at you? He says, that's my son. That's my daughter. He's not looking at you going, mm, I wish they'd act better. He's instead going, Gabriel, Michael, heavenly host, come here. Look at my daughter. That's her. Look at what she's doing right now. That's the implications that the God of the Bible is a father, not a sky boss with lightning bolts in his hands. Come on, that's good preaching. Somebody say amen. Amen. Here's the deal. He was his son, but he was also loved. The Bible says right there in Matthew 3.17 that God calls him loved. And that this wasn't the scripture, it was the audible words of God. Now, I don't know where you land on this, but I'm a dad of three. And one of the things that I'm trying to do as a dad is I'm trying to break the record of how many times a dad can tell a kid out loud, I love you. I tell my kids I love them all the time. My son, he doesn't understand anything right now, okay? Zero. He's six months old. He just looks at me and smiles with drool falling out of his face. I'm trying to teach him his new favorite word, dada, 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 all the time. But I want him to know and I want him to hear, I love you. I want Campbell and Mary Bradford to hear, I love you. I want to say it more than any other dad ever. So if there's any other dads out there that want to challenge me, come on, this will be a good way to challenge each other, okay? I'm going to tell my kids, I love you more than any other dad that's ever existed. Why? Because my heavenly father wasn't ashamed to say out loud in front of everybody he knew either that he loved his son. Come on, dads, this has got to inform us. I know we grew up in different days, right? Or maybe we grew up with a dad who was a military veteran. Or maybe we grew up with a, without a dad and we didn't hear it. But we can't impact what happened upstream. But we can sure as heck impact what happens downstream. And tell our grandkids and tell our sons and tell our daughters, I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. And this is the God of the Bible. And Jesus knew not only is he my dad, but he's my dad that loves me. And that everything that's going to come in the high pressure days ahead are motivated by the love of God. This is important. That when you go through the high pressure days ahead, that God doesn't not love you now. Wait, can you just envision when Jesus is going through the stress and the persecution and the lashes and the nails... If he did not understand the love of his father, then he would have not been able to stand up to the pressure of his world. But he knew his dad was pleased with him, knew him as a son, and loved him. I gave away my third point here. But point number three is he also knew that God was pleased with him. Pleased with him. Jesus in this moment, before he's done a thing, he's not performed the God of the Bible doesn't want us to perform. He wants us to operate out of a true identity as kids 
loved with an Abba that is pleased with us. And that that identity, the pleasure of our Father is what sends us into a world where we can love unlovely things and do hard and difficult things and embrace whatever trials and tribulations come our way. This is the key to the joy of the Lord being your strength. You have got to understand that Jesus knew these things and Christian, these things are true for you as well in Christ. He loves you, you're his daughter, his son, he's pleased with you, whether you blew it this semester or whether you blew it at work or whether you blew it last night relationally, it does not matter because he doesn't see your actions, he sees the finished work of Jesus Christ. Is this helping anybody today? Is this helping? Okay, are you with me? All right, so here's the truth I want you to write down. God's pleasure preceded in Jesus' life, life's pressure. This is the truth. God's pleasure preceded, came before the pressure of the every single day. Now, I want to show you an illustration because some of you, I know this is like, whoa, heavy, theological, but it's good, 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 good for you to walk through everything you're going to walk through in life. But in order to do so, I need to drink a little bit of water. So hold on. was all right. Okay, it's an illustration. You ready? I need everybody on every campus to participate in this, okay? What I'm about to do is I'm going to show you two different people because there's two different people in every single campus. You're either one of these two people, okay? One of these two people. You're either in my right hand to your left is an unopened full bottle of water. In my left hand, your right is obviously an empty bottle of water. Now, I want you to count to three, and when we get to three, I'm going to apply, as best I can tell, Equal pressure. You ready? So you with me? Anderson, you got to really lead out in this because the other campuses are counting on you. So I need, when I say one, you get us to three. Already? One, two, three. All right, now I'm squeezing with everything I got. I'm hoping I can pop the lid off of that right. I can't do anything. Ah! I can't do anything to that right side. But this left side right here, it's gone. Now here's the deal. This is the joy of the Lord being your strength. Pressure. Pressure, 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 pressure. And this one can't take it, can't handle it. I can't do anything to this one, though. I can't do anything. I can't. This is the way the Lord's meant it. It's not meant to be on your coffee cup, church. It's meant to be lived in your life, that you can walk through whatever the doctor says, whatever happens at work, whatever happens relationally, and that nothing can happen that's going to crush you, that you actually have a God who loves you, is pleased with you, that you're his son, you're his daughter, and you can walk into every high-pressure situation, every high-pressure season, and you come out on the other side looking like nothing happened. Now, not this guy. Work got to him. The test got to her. The divorce crushed him. The doctor's report blew him up because they couldn't stand in the pressure. And this is why it's so important for this to be something that you catch, you take home with you, you apply in every season of your life so that whatever comes in the grind of life, the, because God, listen, I said it earlier, God has intended church for you and I to do hard things. His job is to not take away the pressure. He's going to walk with us through the valley of the shadows of death, and we're not going to have to give way. We're going to come out on the other side, just like you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They walked into the fiery furnace, high-pressure situation. They come out on the other side, and King Nebuchadnezzar goes, 
you guys don't even smell like smoke. High pressure, joy of the Lord, that's their strength. So let me ask you this question. Which one of these best describes you right now? With the things that you're walking through, the relationships you're in, the financial situation, the work situation, the things that you're journeying through, are you right now, here's the question I want you to ask yourself right now. Are you right now living out of God's pleasure or are you giving in to life's pressure? What if we asked your roommate to answer this on your behalf or your kids? My kids are the ones that can absolutely answer this on my behalf or your spouse or your neighbor because you were made to walk through difficult things, tough things, low pressure and high, and the joy of the Lord be your strength. That's why people that, that, that absolutely have this reserve, this fountain of joy in their guts, they walk through things and people go, oh my gosh, how are you doing that? I can't believe you're walking through that season like that. I can't believe that you're not, you're not depressed and you're not anxious. But listen, anybody who's trying to control pressure, they start to try to medicate. They start to try to drink it away. They try to numb it away. They try to break up with him and date another guy that would not cause that kind of pressure. Or break up with her or date another girl that would not. They try to get out of the marriage. They try to, they try to push their kids off on something else. They, they want to get out of the pressure situation. And so they stop living life. They start numbing life. They start getting the prescription drugs. They give way because they don't want the pressure. The medicine for pressure is God's pleasure. That's the key to understanding you and I were made that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. Now, here's where I want to finish. It's my last scripture. Psalm 51, um, this is King David's psalm. He wrote Psalm 51, a little context here. King David wrote this psalm in a high-pressure moment of his life, one of the key pressure moments of his life. He, at this point, is actually older in life. Um, he's faced all the giants, and he's... He's actually been anointed king. He's actually, um, he's married at this point. He's got sons at this point. But he's in a high-pressure situation in a high-pressure moment where he had been living apart from God for a season. Uh, as a matter of fact, David wrote this psalm on the other side of an affair. On the other side of trying to cover up the pregnancy in that adulterous relationship by murdering the, the actual husband. And so he could look like the hero and he could then invite Bathsheba uh, to be his now, the widowed Bathsheba, to be his wife so that he could look like the hero. And all the kinds of people in his world knew it. His servants knew it. God, of course, knew it. People that were closest to him, they knew that he was not living in the ways of God. That he at one time was, but he at some point made the decision through whatever circumstances and trials that he wasn't living with the, the joy of the Lord at the core of who he was. And so this psalm was actually written by David, and I want us to look at a couple of the key words. He cries out to God and he says, Lord, I haven't had joy in a long, long time, and I need you to restore the joy of your, I want to point that out, your salvation. And he wrote this in response to a really good friend of his confronting him about the way he was living. Just as a side note, we all need those kind of friends kind of friends that are friends of God, you need friends that are friends with God. And he had a friend named Nathan who was a friend of God and, and Nathan confronted him um, about the way he had been trying to cover up and hide how he had been living. And uh, Nathan tells him that David, you've not been living the way that you've been confessing, 
you've not been living in God's ways. And David breaks down and he says, you're right, I'm sorry, I confess. He says, you know, he actually says these words. You can go read all about this in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. David says, against you, Lord, and you alone have I sinned. And, uh, and he confesses that he is, he's a sinner. He asks the Lord to, to remove the sin, the iniquity, make me white as snow. That's where that phrase, uh, one of the spaces in Scripture where it comes from, that you would blot it out and that you would remove my transgressions from me. And, and would you do this, God? He writes this song. He writes this song, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And the Lord does. And so what I want to do is put a little bit of hope in front of you today. If, here's, the, here's the deal. If you're a Christian, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, at some point in your life you gave your life to Christ, then you need to understand that God can restore your joy too. Whatever your situation. But the way that you get your joy restored, and it is critical that you get your joy restored, is that you've got to recognize, look at me, the places in your life where you've been disagreeing with God potentially, and you need to start agreeing with God. That's it. It's a really powerful thing. This is super powerful. Ask the Lord, is there anywhere in my life where I've been disagreeing with you about anything? And maybe it's about those three things we just pointed out a minute ago. Maybe you've forgotten that you're a son or a daughter, and you need to just agree with God. God, I am your son. I am your daughter. I know that you are my father. You're not mad. You're not, a, you're not namely a judge. You're not namely distance. You're my Abba Father, and I want to agree with you about that today. Maybe, maybe you need to agree with God that you're loved. Maybe you've been struggling that perhaps God doesn't love you. He loves other people, but you, you He doesn't love. That he, he likes you, but He doesn't love you. What would happen in our church if today people again got a revelation of how much God loves them? Check this out, that it's impossible for God to love you with any more love than He is right now. Think about this. He cannot love you more fully than He loves you right now. The problem isn't how much God loves you, it's you and I agreeing with him about how much he loves us. Amen? He loves us so much. Maybe you need to hear God say, I'm pleased. I'm pleased with you. We've got to get back to our, our state of origin, that he loves us, that we're his child, and that he's pleased with us, and that, that by doing this, it's going to ultimately remind us of the pleasure and the joy that we're made to walk in into the high-pressure situations of holidays, relationships, Raising kids, the stock market, the political climate, my marriage, my menopause, my retirement, whatever. That we're made to walk into pressure with the pleasure of God. Now, two questions that I want to ask. And these are the same two questions that we ask every single week. I want to ask these two questions. Right here and right now on every single campus, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Would you stand to your feet on our campuses as we respond? What's God saying to you this morning? What are you going to do about it? Um, there's a great movie. I love it. It uh, won the Oscar in 1981. It was a movie called Chariots of Fire. And uh, in Chariots of Fire, you'll have to go watch the whole story. I'm making my kids watch all these great movies. But Chariots of Fire is a, a true story about a man named Eric. He was an Olympian. He was born in China to missionaries from Scotland. And Eric lived in China for the majority of his life until he went to school um, back in, in England where he was going to get his ultimately his degree. So he goes back from China to England uh, to study school. They find out something when he comes back home to Great Britain. They find out that he is freakishly fast. 
Eric is an incredible athlete. They get him on the Olympic team there in England back in the 1920s. And uh, they find out that he's not just sort of fast, like he's the best in the world. He wins and is the number one sprinter in all the known world at that time. The 100 meters is his specialty. But there was one problem. When it came to the Olympics in 1924, the 100 meter dash, all of the trials, and then the ultimate um, event final was on a Sunday. And Eric was a Christian. And he had made it a long time previous. He'd been raised to honor the Lord on Sunday that way before Kanye rapped about it and Chick-fil-A taught us that Eric was closed on Sunday. And that he wasn't going to run on Sunday and do anything that wasn't honoring the Lord. And so he, did, he made this decision that I'm not going to run the 100-meter dash. Everybody's going, no, Eric, you got to run the 100-meter dash. You're the best in the world. You've you got to represent our country. Do it for your nation. Do it for the colors. Do it, do it, do it for your God, even some people said. And Eric ultimately writes a letter to his uh, girlfriend at the time, later his wife, her name was Jenny, and he writes her in the letter that he is not going to run on Sunday, but instead is going to say yes to a different race that was run at a different part of the week. He was going to say yes to not running the 100-yard dash, but running the 400. And if anybody out there is a runner, you know these things are very different, the 100-yard dash and the 400. But it gave Eric a chance to run still in the Olympics, represent his country, and he wasn't going to have to run on Sunday and compromise what he believed to be a holy day. And so he says yes to running the 400. Everybody thought there's no way he does any good at this because he's a sprinter. He'll burn out at 125, 150, at most 200 yards. He'll be done. He'll be over with. Well, Eric goes on to win the 1924 gold medal in the 400-meter dash. It's a pretty cool story, but here's the statement he makes about that journey. He writes his girlfriend and he says, Jenny, I know that the Lord has made me for a purpose, but he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. And I've loved that statement because I think it gets to the essence of what we're talking about here. God's made you on purpose not to eject out of all the hard pressures of your life, but to figure out that He's so pleased with you that when you're running and doing all the difficult things that He's called you to do, that there's a smile on your face, there's a joy in your heart, and it'll carry the day with whatever you're walking into. I want to invite our campus pastors to the stage, and I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to respond. What's God saying to you? What do you need to do about it? You need to come down front? Do you need to pray? Do you need to receive Christ today? Do you need to get encouragement? Let's get our joy back, church. Father God, thank you for the truth that we've read in your scripture today. Thank you for the work it's doing in all of our hearts. Thank you for the image that we can stand up to the pressure of life. And Lord, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters that might be feeling the squeeze. If they were real and honest about what they're going through today, they, they feel like they're getting crushed. The relationships are crushing, their work is crushing, the schoolwork is crushing, the expectations are crushing, the depression is crushing, the anxiety is crushing. And that, Lord, that you, you have a love that'll, that'll help us walk through every situation, but, Lord, we need to be reminded today that we're yours. We need to be reminded today that you love us and that you're pleased with us. And that, God, that we'd be reminded today as we go out into our weeks that we are made to do hard things with the joy of the Lord at the center of our lives, being our strength. We give you praise and honor now as we respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.